Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. As we open your word now, as we continue to explore your word, as we continue to receive revelation through your word, may you bring new insight, new understanding, a deeper sense of who we are in you because we have a deeper sense of who you are. Holy Spirit, come. Bring healing, bring conviction, bring revival, bring renewal, bring repentance, bring restoration, reconciliation. In the name of Jesus, amen. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. We are following and continuing the story, uh, the the gospel witness. Uh, It's in your paper Bibles, as it always has been. It's also on the Horsham Church of Christ Version event. And you might like to follow along there with a few extra scriptures that will be there as well. Um, just to say thank you for, uh, to Lockie last week, uh, that was the first time that Lockie uh, spoke, did such a brilliant job at communicating uh, the good news and communicating uh, the message. You know, when the change happened, you know, he was already a bit nervous about speaking in front of a hundred people, he thought that was better than speaking in front of a couple of hundred people uh, and then he pivoted um, to... <laughs> to um, to speaking online and speaking to the camera, he did such a great job. So we just want to honour and celebrate that as well. But um, it's so good to be able to continue this story. And I hope that you're uh, getting deeper and enjoying it and going back and reading it yourself and uh, immersing yourself in the story and um, wondering what it's like to be a witness of this unfolding events. I was reminded of a story last week, which I've been given permission to use. Uh, The story will remain anonymous, um, but I was reminded of a story, a a traditional story, an old story where uh, a girl and a boy spy each other across the field, across a a campfire, across the room. Um, I can't remember where they initially uh, spied each other. Girl meets boy, there's somewhat of a mutual attraction between uh, a girl and a boy. There's that kind of flirting, the hair flicking, the giggling, the awkwardness, the staring at each other and everybody's kind of elbowing what's going here between this girl and this boy. There's this fascination, the hearts are starting to burst and expand with possibility. You remember that, some of you remember what that was first like, don't you? Um, Some of you still feel that. Oh, um, and, um, and then this 17-year-old girl, as they were standing around a campfire at a particular event, discovered that this particular boy was 14. <laughs> um, there's a high level of laughter over in this corner. I'm not saying at all who it was. Um, no, nah, that's right. Um, Now, in the girl's head, up until this moment, this 14-year-old boy was 21, which somehow worked out okay when she was 17. But when she's 17 and he's 14, that kind of changes the relationship a little bit somehow. Um, Given that it was a couple of weeks ago, uh, years ago, maybe it's worth touching base again. He's grown up now. Um, But it's astonishing, is it not, how quickly a perspective on a relationship or on how we view another person can change. 
Um, what a, a girl who at 16, 17 was okay with a boy being 21 and not so okay with him being 14, that changes the way that she participated in the relationship a little bit. Have you ever been in a relationship like that? Where you thought you understood what was happening, where you understood what you thought you were a part of, and then something shifts or you hear something or you understand something or you see something in a new way and you go, oh, hang on a minute, this isn't what I thought it was. And this is a struggle, friends, that many people have with the person of Jesus. We think we have grasped who Jesus is. We think we have understood who Jesus is. We think we can even participate in some kind of way with the relationship, with the person, with the engagement, with the kind of uh, expression of life that Jesus is participating in, the calling us to. You know, we like the miracles. We like the stories. We like the teachings. We like the wonders that he can perform. And then something shifts. And we go, oh, hang on a minute. There's something happening here that I am either not prepared for, ready for, or perhaps even willing to step into. So we hear about Jesus, we sing about Jesus, maybe we've been told stories about Jesus, maybe we've heard stories about how others have encountered Jesus, we've heard stories of miracles that others have experienced in Jesus. We like those things, we're able to participate in those things. Perhaps we've been taught rules that affect the way that we view Jesus. People stay away from church or the story or therefore consequently the story of Jesus in a life-giving gospel church because of the rules that have been placed upon them and what it looked like to be following Jesus. We're not asked to only consider how we see or experience Jesus and how you see through others. But at some point, we need to decide if we will follow Jesus. And as I look around the room, probably most of us sitting here have made a decision to follow Jesus. And maybe you're watching online your first time, your hundredth time, your thousandth time. But I think there's a decision that we need to make time and time and time again. Even if we've already made that decision. If you, if you can remember that first moment. And I dare say that many of us sitting in this room, many of us watching online... We all need to come back and make a decision again. Will I follow Jesus? And at this time, in this moment in history, we've got to decide again. We've got to decide again. And it rattles our cages because he challenges the comfortable kingdoms that we build for ourselves. He challenges the comfortable kingdoms that we build for ourselves. The Gospel of Mark joins a couple of stories here and it's an invitation to consider how we see Jesus. Is Jesus simply the warm and fuzzy guy that we can get along with, be a part of the crowd? Or will we see Jesus and the world around us through a new lens, with a new perspective, with a new understanding, with a new willingness to participate and engage? Jesus uses uh, the Gospel of Mark, the wit- um, who... The author is Peter, the witness, one of the witnesses of uh, the ministry and the life of Jesus. I, he uses these two encounters, I think, which look very different and different expressions, but they have similar invitations. See, for the gospel writers, and particularly for the gospel of Mark, sequence of order is not such a big issue. Telling the story of Jesus is the big issue. Being um, following uh, his historical events in sequential order is not such the issue as making the point of who Jesus is. So let's read this story. Let's read these stories, beg your pardon, not just a story, and see what happens here. Um, they came to Bethsaida. 
And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Now, if you've been following the story for any length of time, you go, oh, yes, we've heard this story before. Blind man, can't see, Jesus heals him. Um, Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. Now, that's an interesting kind of take on it, isn't it? That's something that hasn't happened before. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? Now again, that's really interesting. Um, and I might be jumping ahead, but I might as well jump here while the text is up. Jesus spits on his eyes. I read one commentator that says actual um, using spit is kind of a common form of a healing potion for this time. I've never heard that before. So that's one aspect of it. Someone else said to me, even the spit of Jesus um, was pure and holy, uh, you know, without sin, without COVID or vaccines. So he was able to spit on people without causing more damage. Um, but, so, but this moment, there's something interesting happening here. Firstly, Jesus leads this blind man away from the crowds, outside the village. He spit on him and he doesn't say, your faith has healed you. Remember the other stories? As it according to your faith. He actually, Jesus actually says to this blind man, what do you see? Are you seeing anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Now, if you were that blind man, would you be feeling a little bit disappointed at that moment? Once more, Jesus put his hands. Now, notice the shift here. Why has the author made it such a big issue that Jesus spits on him and then at this moment, he lays his hands directly on him? What's happening there? I want to argue and suggest that there's a distinct touch from Jesus and only the touch from Jesus that can bring full revelation. You follow? Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. At this time, Jesus, you know, his, his popularity is high enough because of um, healings. You know, he doesn't need any more people following and chasing after him simply because of the healings. It's, he's not ready to reveal himself fully. It's coming. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. This is a pivotal, <laughs> a pivotal moment in the Gospel of Mark. This is a shift. This is now no longer just about Jesus, the miracle worker, wonder-working, power and authority of Jesus. This is Jesus revealing who he is. And the witnesses, those closest to him and the crowds, and therefore now you and I, and you'll see this time and time again from here on in the Gospel of Mark, you and I are invited to discover, you and I are invited to discover and respond to this very question. Who do you say that Jesus is? And not only will you say it, but what will that mean? 
What about you? Jesus asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Now, Matthew tells this story a little bit differently, and it's an interesting uh, revelation. Matthew tells on this confession that uh, Jesus will build the church. Now, I think there's some interesting distinctions here. Oh, sorry, I haven't read the, finished reading the text. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, he said. Get behind me, Satan, he said. Do you, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now I want to highlight here a couple of things in these stories. I don't know if you saw the similarities. I don't know if you... Let me kind of guide you. Did you notice that it was Jesus who takes the blind man aside, outside the village on the one hand, and then it was Peter who took Jesus aside? Did you notice that? Um, and Jesus takes the blind man aside to bring healing. Peter takes Jesus aside to rebuke him. Jesus asked the blind man, not how much faith he has, but what do you see? He asked the disciples, who do the crowd say I am? Who do you say I am? What do you see? You following? This is a question about vision. Um, and it, while the blind man's vision becomes clearer, Peter's vision gets a little blurry. Did you notice that? Jesus takes the blind man aside. What do you see? I see people looking like trees walking around. Jesus touches him really clearly, really distinctly. He sees everything clearly, we're told. Peter takes Jesus aside, rebukes him. This is the first time that Jesus begins to tell his disciples the Son of Man must suffer and on the third day he'll raise. He'll be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes and he'll be put to death. This is the first time that Jesus reveals the fullness of him. Peter is able to say clearly, you are the Messiah. Now in Peter's mind, um, in Peter's mind, uh, this means that Jesus is the one who saves Israel with military power, military force, political power, political force. You are the Messiah. You will rule on the throne. You will throw out the Roman oppression. This is what Peter's thinking when he says, you are the Messiah. You are the one who will make all things right. And he will, but it's going to look a little bit different. Jesus doesn't actually correct or... Um, challenge Peter's idea saying you are the Messiah but he gives him a deeper picture of it he's essentially he says yes the son of man do you notice the shift in language there Peter says you are the Messiah and Jesus calls himself the son of man I am one who is going to suffer as a human being it's powerful language and it's a powerful limitation and what we see is a blind man who sees clearly and a follower of Jesus whose vision gets a little blurry.
This is too much for Peter when Jesus talks about the suffering servant. Um, in verse 31, he then began to teach him that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected, and then he must be killed. And after three days, he rose again. Speaking plainly about this, Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him. Now, it's fascinating as well. Um, as I read this text, I can't help but wonder, uh, and I picked this up, it's not my original idea, but is this another moment where Jesus is taken back to his temptation? just after his baptism? You know, when the enemy, Satan, declared and said, you know, bow yourself down to me and you can have all this. Here's how it's going to happen and unfold. I can give all this to you. And I can't help but wonder if Jesus is remembering that moment, if this is another opportune moment for Jesus to again decide what he chooses to be a part of. And secondly, it fascinates me that Peter stays in the relationship. Now, we can't even agree to disagree over vaccines without getting narky at each other. Jesus directly calls Peter Satan, whether he's addressing his spirit, whether he addresses him personally. I don't know how that's heard. I don't know clearly how that's said. But Jesus, get behind me, Satan. Now, Peter, at some level, has to feel responsible for that, doesn't he? I'm not sure he actually says it directly to Peter or he's just kind of saying it out loud, the battle that continues to happen in his own spirit. But Peter stays in the conversation. Have you noticed that? Can such a powerful rebuke, such a personal rebuke, and Peter stays? Now, we are facing numerous causes in our world. There's always been numerous causes in our world. There's many causes that we can be involved in, many hashtags where we can voice our anger, our voice our disappointment, voice our solidarity with people. Peter understood causes. He wanted the Roman Empire thrown out. Peter understood causes. He wanted Jesus to live up to his expectations. Peter understood causes. He wanted to be at the front line of the battle. He understood causes. He wanted to see the government overthrown. And Jesus reveals another way. And it shifts here. Jesus calls the crowd, looks at the crowd. So previously the crowd has been involved in what? In watching miracles. The crowd has been involved because Jesus had compassion on them and he fed them. Right? He's done all these miracles. The crowd has been involved because they've run after him. Wherever Jesus has gone, they've heard about it and they have bolted after him. In this moment, Jesus says to Peter, this is going to happen a different way. And then he turns to the crowd and he says to them, along with his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple or will learn from me, depending on your translation, depends on what your scripture says, or uh, wants to follow me, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. In, two, in one sentence, Jesus says twice, this is what it looks like to follow me. Yeah, you can follow me as part of the crowd, but actually to follow me looks like this. Deny yourself, take up your cross. Oh, hang on. This isn't what I signed up for. This isn't who I saw you to be. This isn't what I thought. 
For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of me when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Let me just go back here. This is what it looks like to learn from me says Jesus. Take up your cross, lay down your ideas, your plans, your dreams, and follow me. And we struggle with this imagery. Even as I prepare this message, I struggle with this imagery because we don't see it on the highways today. You don't drive on the outskirts of Horsham or up to Mount Arapiles and see crosses there and the, the centurions and the officers leading the criminals away to be crucified today. People hearing this, they understood what it was. They understood it was execution. They understood it was brutality. They understood it meant giving up everything. They were done and dusted. There was no coming back from that. We use it as a pithy saying these days. Oh, it's my cross to bear. As in, you know, this is just the burden I have to carry. Oh, no, that's not what Jesus is saying. The cross was a symbol of political power. It was torturous. And Jesus was using a common tool for an eternal purpose. It is being stripped bare. Stripped back to nothing. Stripped back to having nothing left to offer giving our lives totally and completely and choosing to give ourselves to a different kingdom, an eternal perspective. See, so many of them, and I've said this before, we all love the idea of the resurrection, we just don't want to go through the crucifixion. But if you want resurrection, you have to endure the crucifixion. This still means that we need to put to death our own ideas, our own plans and our own desires in exchange for the ways of Jesus. We have to put to death our own plans, our own desires, our own dreams, our own ideas for the ways of Jesus. I try to think of examples and this is... uh, If you encountered Jesus in such a personal way and Jesus said, I want you to give up that social media. And like some of you will be sitting here and you might be well watching online and you're going, oh, we don't do social media. But there's some of us, particularly our younger generation, who are just all over it all the time. And if Jesus said to you, I want you to give that up so you honour me more fully, would you do it? So that might be a little bit easy for some of us. Um, if, if Jesus says, I want you to give up that, that habit, would you do it? Now, you pick your habit. Would you do it? If Jesus says to you, I want you to forgive that person, I want you to speak differently to that person, I want you to honour that person, would you do it? And I'm not talking about unsafe relationships or broken boundaries. I'm I'm just talking about if Jesus speaks to you and would you do it? If Jesus says to you, I want you to give up your career, 
I want you to give that money away that you'd set aside. If you're so committed to following Jesus that you're willing to lay down your life, your plans, your ideas, everything, and Jesus said, I want you to provide for that family. If Jesus says, I want you, I want you to introduce yourself to that household, you know that household. Why don't you go knock on their door? If Jesus says to you, that attitude's out of whack. If Jesus says to you, that mindset, that behaviour, that's not a reflection of me. Would you lay it down? Would you give it up? That addiction. If Jesus says, come follow me, give your life to me, would you step over the threshold? Now, I think part of the, part of the challenge that we've felt in this um, is that we hear this and we, we just look for the glory. We look, oh, this is going to be wonderful. This is going to be easy. No, it is not. Death is not easy, friends. Is it? Death is not easy. It is painful. It is sacrificial. Whew. But we endure it as Jesus endures it, knowing the hope and the joy of the resurrection. That was the promise of Jesus. He endured, says Hebrews, for the joy that was set before him. And it's the same truth, I think, when we die to ourselves. It's painful, it's excruciating, it's costly, it's foolishness. <laughs> but when we endure the suffering, we are becoming who we are made to be in Christ. And Jesus doesn't simply say, well, this is what you should do because I tell you. He actually gives us reasons. He actually gives um, some value to it, some understanding of it. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their, whole, their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? See, if you keep saving your life by what you build for yourself, if you keep saving your life for your own comfort, you've already lost your life. If that's your single greatest motivation, you've already lost your life. Sure, it's what the world offers. Buy this, have this, update this, like this, yell at this. <laughs> but even as you live in this world, Jesus says, give your life to another world. And then verse 38, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And we go, what about the Jesus of compassion? What about the Jesus of love and mercy? I've had people say to me, Simon, if, if God is so loving, why, do, why does God send people to hell? God just honours the decisions that you make. God honours the decisions that we make with what he's given us. Jesus isn't going to force us, but if we want to see clearly, then his way of serving and suffering is the way to life. Paul writes it like this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
So to give up everything, to know God, to be known by God and to make him known, this is the way of freedom, this is the way of liberation and new life. What earthly power, what restriction can rule us if that is the way of life? Are you seeing clearly yet? What do you see? Who do you say Jesus is? What do you see? Who do you say Jesus is? And what will that mean? Following Jesus isn't about power, self-preservation, arguments of law. It's about loving God, loving others, surrendering our lives to serving one another. Are we willing to be people who lay down our lives in accordance with the Father and his love so that we might truly live? So the reality is we only have one life to respond to this invitation in Jesus. That's it. We can make that decision many, many times. We can walk away from that decision many, many times. There's no doubt the grace and the mercy of God extends beyond and through and over all those decisions. But there comes a moment where we have to choose. We have to decide how clearly we see. And if we're going to allow the interaction, the person of Jesus to touch us so clearly and so powerfully that we will see clearly. Or if we're just going to keep demanding that Jesus suits my ideas, the way that I think he should operate. We only have one lifetime to respond to Jesus' invitation. And as our team comes up, which cause will we give which, which cause will we give our lives to? We give our lives to self-fulfillment, protection, the building of our own comfortable kingdoms, or the way of love, the way of sacrifice, and in so doing, discover the truth of who we really are in following Jesus. And as we sing a song as we normally do at the end of a service and there's plenty of songs that are great to sing and easy to sing. Um, this I Believe, the Creed's great song, a great song of declaration. And as always, the invitation is there. If you're here in person, you might need prayer in a specific area, then we invite you to step out of your seat. Maybe it's been you've wandered. Maybe you've got something specifically you're struggling to give up, to lay down and give sacrifice and to take on the ways of Jesus. Then come and receive prayer in that. Come and receive encouragement in that. We can gather around you. We can get people around you. If you're watching online, who can you contact? You can contact us through our website, send us a message, and just ask for that prayer. Reach out to someone that you trust, even in this room. Reach out to someone that you trust and ask. Make the declaration so someone can walk with you. But this is the moment. Maybe some of our perspectives changed again. Peter was what following Jesus. The crowds are following Jesus. And from here on in, ladies and gentlemen, our perspective changes a little bit. Jesus begins to introduce himself as the Son of Man who has come to seek and save the lost, the suffering servant who is on his way to the cross so that we might know the full extent of God's love. My prayer and my hope is that we might be people of that way too. Thank you.